and you know what? There's also this mm -hmm. this article that that I read in Filmmaker Magazine when we get into the part where we're talking about the uh, the WGA strike because I really want to I really want to touch on that, you know, okay. because of the uh, AI and the Chat GPT uh, and you know yep, yep. The, the the volatility surrounding. Yeah, we can go that. in whatever you want to talk about. You know, I'm gonna open. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but, but let's let's do this uh, the, the proper way. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with um, your humble host, Floyd Marshall Jr. And today, I am joined by the incomparable Hilliard Guest. Ladies and gentlemen, I could say so much about this young man because he is you normally say triple threat, but this gentleman does so many things, and he does them all very well. Actor, producer, director, writer. Uh, he's also an advocate. He's an advocate for young up-and-coming screenwriters. He's in the co-chair of education and committee, and he's also a member of the LGBTQ plus Latinx genre committees. He is also co-chair uh, of the committee of black writers. <laughs> he does it all, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, he he's out there on the front lines and he has one of the most amazing podcasts that I've had the privilege and the pleasure of listening to the rant room. If you are in this business and I, and you don't even have to be a writer, but if you are in this business, you need to go to Apple and subscribe to that podcast Green right now. Mm -hmm. Screenwriters rant room. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hilliard guest. Hilliard hey, Howard. Man. Good to see you, man. It's been a minute. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's been a minute. Like we you ran know. into each other somewhere a while ago, but you know, it's just like a, Hey, you know what I mean? Hey, what it is, what it is, brother. It is what it is. Welcome to a conversation with where we sit down with some amazing people in the film, media, and entrepreneurial space. We're going to talk about what makes them successful and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business but more importantly, to maximize your life. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with, and I'm your host, Floyd Marshall Jr. So we, we, we were just talking, of, well, first of all, let's, let's, let's go back for a second because, you know, for, for right now, and I want to start at the beginning. How <laughs> did you get started in this business? Man, so I grew up in Detroit. I was, well, I was born in Detroit, and then we moved to uh, Brooklyn when I was two, and then we were there until I was about seven. I hardly remember it all, so don't even ask me about it. Um, but we were military brats. You know, we lived on a military street, like somewhere close to Coney Island, as far as I know. I think I heard we went to PS195, but I don't remember. I don't know. My, my, I'm the youngest. My other kids, my other siblings might remember more. I remember growing up in the Bay. <clears throat> we moved to, moved to Palo Alto when I was about seven. And I always have to preface this. People are like, oh, Stanford. I'm like, no, bitch, the east side. <laughs> what we call the dangerous mind side. Mm. You know? And back then, you know, it's, it's the late 70s. So we're coming out of a lot of the, a lot of the, my friends, their father, their brothers, you know, sisters and all that. Aunties, mothers were like former Panthers. It was like the number three most dangerous place to live in America. And for those of you in the 90s, 80s, saw that movie Dangerous Minds. That was a school in the neighborhood. So I went to that middle school of that school and all my other, my, all my other siblings went to that school. So you can imagine the type of neighborhood I grew up in. <clears throat> and uh, I was part of a really kind of fairly popular 
breakdance crew back in the day. It's what everybody did in 1982. <laughs> you know, everybody was on the streets. You know, they were rival gangs and all that shit of just breakdance crews and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I think by the time I was 14, I got into the mod punk rock skinhead scene and still in it today. Mm. Still been a wee boy since I was, you know, 14 years old and I'm 52 now. So still listen to my ska music and my reggae and, you know, still dressing my 60s outfits when I have to and go see Fishbone and the Untouchables and, you know, still, still that cat. You know what I mean? Wow. So you grew up and it's interesting because, again, I was listening to one of the podcasts that you guys were talking about Palo Alto and how your parents just sold their home. Yeah. What they bought it for and then what, what they sold it for. Right. And the thing that kept running through my mind, wow, gentrification is something else. Yeah, I was telling you, um, Facebook moved into the neighborhood mm-hmm. literally not even half a mile away. No, I don't even think it's that far. It's probably eight blocks away. Some wow. shit like that. And um, it's like the other side of the train tracks. And um, before you hit over um, Dumbarton Bridge going to the east side, which would take you to like Fremont and Oakland and Hayward and shit like that. They, t- they took over this whole like city block wide. They built this thing up. So they started buying into the neighborhood <clears throat> years, maybe 10 years ago into the mm-hmm. neighborhood. And now there's just, you know, you go like, like my office is over here in West Hollywood and you walk, you go down any street and you might find four or five, like those little mini mansions all over the place. Those big boxes, you know what I mean? That they build mm-hmm. those modern day shit. There's a bunch of them in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it used to be, it's funny because we were the hood, but it was almost like boys in the hood in a context of um, we, you know, we all were low class and poor. Right. But everybody had a house. You know what I mean? We weren't like living in the projects. 30, right. You know what I mean? Three towers, you know, 30 towers high and shit. But yet it was, it was our version of the projects. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. So so how did that lead to you getting into acting? Because you said you did the break dancing and, and I understand you did theater. So how, how did that come about? How did that happen? I was out with my homeboys dancing and we used to. So we used to go what we call to the white side. The white side is the Stanford side. There's a place called Downtown University, which is the hub. And that's where there, there was a place called the Varsity, which is where all the punks hang. That's where I met all those guys and the rude boys and the skins and the mods and everybody. We all, and every Saturday night, they'd play Rocky Horror Picture Show, Quadrophenia, or Dance Craze, which is another big uh, film back in the day. And um, so that was the hub there. But me and my homeboys would go down to Burger King, which had this big, giant open area, and we'd be breakdancing for money. And so... Burger King got tired of the brothers going in to use the bathroom. <laughs> they ain't buying shit. Right. <laughs> so I would go a couple blocks over to the uh, professional children's theater and go pee over there. And one day I walked in and they were in the middle of auditions and I'm, you know, 12 years old, you know, got my attire on. Like I, I dressed kind of like Ozone and Breaking before Breaking came out. I was already mm. Mm. You know what I mean? A little bit of punk rock with a little bit of, you know, that I didn't even know. I just thought it was dope. You know right. what I mean? <clears throat> and so, and uh shout out to uh Badu who passed away. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. was my dude. We actually were working on a, a movie about him. He wrote a book called The King of Crenshaw. Mm. And uh yeah, we were here in my office, like trying to figure out how to turn it into a full story, and then he passed away. Anyway, so 
Um, where's it going? So I walk in there to go to the bathroom and the lady's like, oh, are you here to audition? I was like, what's that? She's like, oh, you just have to sing and, you know, dance, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's easy. Now, me and my homeboys are already doing routines. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've always been more like what we call an up rocker. So I don't I don't be like all on the floor, you know, doing flares and shit. I'm more up in here. Getting OK. Busy. And so um, but I've always been naturally flexible. And I always had just like a I can spot somebody dancing in copy. I don't know what it is. Mm. And so I had recorded uh, on accident. I came home from school one day and West Side Story had just came on. Remember, everybody had their VCR set because you don't know what's going to come on back then. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? See, kids don't even know what that means. You just, you could find it. And, <laughs> They're like, what? Now. No, bitch, you had to be on live. To yeah. Get you. <laughs> like, I'm like, a what? A VC what? Yeah. And so I recorded West Side Story and I'd come home every day from the time I was 12 to the time I was 14, almost every day and watch this movie. Mm. The big dance scenes. And, and I would be like, how in the world are they doing those spins? And I'd just be practicing in the living room, stretching, trying to get more flexible so I can kick my leg up to here. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. You know what I mean? And then it just so happened, I, I walked into that audition when I was 12 and got a role in one of the big musicals. <clears throat> and you got to remember me and my homeboys are doing full on routines and they're for kids. It's like one step, two step, three right. step, four. I'm like, that's it. I'm adding spins. I already could kick my leg and hold it up to here. So they're like, you're on the front. <laughs> you know oh, what I'm wow. saying? So I ended up, and it ended up saving my life because two years later, after doing five, four or five shows a year, that means I'm gone the whole year. Mm. So my homeboys are out there roughing it up in the streets in 82. By 83, crack comes into the neighborhood. So them brothers ain't on the streets no more. They're on oh. the streets. You know what I mean? So you can just imagine what happened had I not have gone that route. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? So most of my homeboys, you know, either went to jail, didn't make it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, like that. I went and started doing theater. And, and when I would leave there, I'd go hang out with my punk rock friends. I started hanging around them. You know what I mean? And got into the rude boy scene and all that and got myself a fancy scooter. And that you could kind of see behind me right there. That's me. Okay. Right there on the, right there on the LA Times, that's me on the cover on one of my scooters in my full rude boy, you know, sixties shark skin suit and the whole deal. You know what I mean? So wow, wow, yeah. wow. So you start you start doing things, and you know what's interesting? I'm I'm, I'm heavily into personal development, and it's this mm -hmm. gentleman that I listen to by the name of Ed Milet, and okay. he he has this quote. He said, "Things don't happen to you; they happen for you." And it's interesting mm -hmm. that you know Burger King says you can't come in here and go to the bathroom. And of all the places to end up, you end up in a theater yep. doing something that you did naturally. Yep. So that's a, one of those uh, things don't happen to you. They happen for you type of type of situations. And quick question before I move on. <laughs> With, were, were, were you even because I'm big on manifestation. What was that something that you said, hey, maybe that's something in the future that I want to do or was, you know, what you guys were doing with the breaking was, was that just something, you know, even though you were heavily into it, was that just something to pass the time or was that something you said to yourself, you know what, maybe I can turn this into something. Had that thought ever crossed your mind? I don't remember, but I do know, you know, growing up in the, in the early eighties, you know, what we, what we saw on TV was, mm -hmm. was God, you know what I mean? So you had, 
<clears throat> a different strokes and you had Gary Coleman. And so here I am 12 years old, starting to do musical theater, you know, and I could sing, dance and act at the time. Matter of fact, my audition was, I didn't know what to sing. They said, you have to sing a song. New Editions, Is This the End was the hit. So I had that false. So I was singing, Is This the End? Almost on perfect pitch. And most wow. of my friends didn't even know I could do that. Wow. I didn't even know I could do that. I just was singing, you know, at the church and shit like that, but not even tripping. And so I auditioned with Is This the End, did, did the dance routine, and then they put me as like the featured dancer in the show. And then the next show, I ended up getting a role in and, you know, doing, and then it just kind of kept going. And then somebody was doing a show at the adult theater and they were like, hey, you want to come assistant stage manage this with me? I was like, okay. You know what I mean? So I was always starting to, you want to choreograph this thing? You want to whatever? Mm -hmm. So I started becoming, I was directing then. You know what I mean? Okay. They would let me come in and do the choreo for something. They would let me come in and direct the movement thing to teach the dancers how to move, whatever it was. So I just started. And then high school, I was really killing it in theater there. So that's wow. So you know what? When you mentioned that song, the lyrics immediately yeah. popped into my head with the Ralph Tresvance. Yeah. And you hit and and Ralph was 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 it's, hitting those notes high. pretty he was damn like on high. Thing. I was yeah. I wasn't that high. I was pretty close though. Okay. Yeah. So so a lot of a lot of people won't know what song we're referencing. That's a that's an 80s song. You know, we're, 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 we're look it up. Yeah, we're telling because <laughs> I can't it anymore. <laughs> no, phenomenal phenomenal song, phenomenal exactly. group, and, and and absolutely phenomenal time. So you 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 start musical theater, you're you're directing down, you're doing all of that. So then how did that segue into films? Well, actually it happened then. I I was probably a couple of years in. It's probably like by 85, I had started the Palo Alto Rude Boys with my homeboy, Lindsay and Andre. And uh, it started with just three or four of us. Mm -hmm. And it grew over the years by 1990. It was probably 60 deep. Wow. Yeah, it was that many of us. Because <clears throat> I was just telling um, this showrunner, a friend of mine at, at lunch, that, you know, growing up in this time, you saw the movie Dope, right? Yes. That was me. I literally was this kid in that neighborhood, you know, it was a red neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? Literally wow. is how we were. And, and I, I was the cat. Everybody called me the black Pee Wee Herman. Cause, cause remember Pee Wee Herman came out with 83, 84. Mm -hmm. I got into the scene in summer of 84 and I'm driving around on these vintage bikes, like I said, and dressing the way I was dressing. So everybody, you know, 60s suit, shark skin shit, which is kind of like what Pee Wee did. But mm -hmm. I was wearing a, you know, one inch tie. He wore a bow tie. You know what I mean? Peg pants, you know, the whole thing. I've been wearing skinny jeans since the 80s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Before Still, skinny jeans were a thing. Before when they, everybody was teasing me. You know what I mean? Now everybody's trying to wear them. Yeah, I've the jeans always, too tight. I've always been ahead of the game. Okay. Always. I had the kid and play haircut at some point way before we even heard of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I cut it myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was doing everybody's hair in the neighborhood, always. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, I was I was a hairstylist for a little while when I lived when I moved to San Francisco to really do theater. And okay. when I wasn't working, um, my first boyfriend um, was like, "Dude, you're always cutting all your friends' hair. You cut mine. Why don't you go to school?" I'm like, "I'm an actor." He's like, "I'll pay for it." <laughs> you know what I mean? So I spent a year, you know, studying, finished, went and worked at one of the big Vidal Sassoon spin-off uh, uh, salons. I, I was a real hairstyle. I could really do hair. 
You know, Damn. I could have easily went down that path. Damn. Yeah. So you you've basically done you've basically done everything. So you, you're making films. You, oh, the films. films. Yeah. So the yeah, films yeah, yeah. And, then, so, and then the writing. How did how did all of that? So the film, the way I got into film was, uh, I don't know, I know they used to do it in the 80s and probably 70s. They used to be, when you were in school, especially like middle school on mm -hmm. and high school, they used to have like educational films that the whole assembly would come and watch, you know, some yeah. film. And so I was doing a play, uh, a musical, and I, the, some guy came backstage and was like, hey, I want to, I want to cast you in this film I'm doing. I was like, me? And it was like, it was this like tech, you know, film about, you know, whatever the fuck. And I was supposed to have like three or four lines in it. And we started rehearsing. They loved me so much. They ended up writing all this new stuff. And it started playing eventually like, you know, it's six months, eight months later around schools all over the world, as far as I knew, or all over America. And so this thing went out. And when I got in high school, I was doing a play and that happened again. But I was fully rude boy in that one. Mm. You know what I mean? I, have, I literally used to walk with a Batman lunch pail and the crazy haircuts and, you know, all that stuff. And so all that, they, they liked me. So I became, you know, that dude in that film. And so I, by the time I, you know, was in like, thinking I was in like sophomore, junior year or something, mm -hmm. you know, I was already known for that movie, you know, all around the school. So. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you're doing all of that. So now, how did how did that segue into writing? And more importantly, how did it segue into where you are now in Hollywood? Because you know, <clears throat> you, you you you've done you've done film, you've done television, you you've done quite a bit. So so where did I that have, transition? I've done every medium in? for sure. I've done every medium. So I moved to I moved to LA in '96. The reason was so people who and a lot of actors know this. People who live in, let's say, Atlanta, people who live in Chicago, people who live in San Francisco. San Francisco in the 80s and 90s was the number, like one of the number one places for commercials. Mm. So I was booking commercials like crazy. That was easy. I don't mean like, oh, it's easy to go get them, but it just wasn't a lot of competition. You know what I mean? And so I was booking them. Like I, I probably had three or four a year sometime going on. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like that crazy. And so what happened was whenever I get a role on a TV show, I would be second or third fiddle. Mm. So it's kind of like all the supporting co-star roles they cast out of San Francisco and then all the guest stars they would bring from here. Mm. And I was like, fuck, if this, by the sixth time it happened and I'm playing the best friend or whoever, I was like, I could have played this role. This is ridiculous. Right. But they don't see it that way. You know what I mean? So I was getting frustrated with that. So I was like, I got to go to L.A. I got to go to L.A. So finally, my boyfriend at the time was like, you should just go. You know, I thought it was going to be one of those. I'm going to go for two years and see what happens. Two years turned into since 96. What's that? 24, 25 years. You know what I mean? I've yeah, been here yeah 96. That's 26 years. <laughs> let me see. Because my daughter was born in 96. That's 26 years. Yeah. Going on 27. Yeah. yeah going, on, going on 27. So, so, so you get to LA. Mm -hmm. What happens when you get to LA? So, so did you get that type of success? Happen. Okay. Two things happen. Now, and I tell younger writers and actors and entertainers, artists, this all the time. What'd you come here for? Mm. 
And I, I know you be talking about shit like this when you do your little, what do you call it when you just talk to people? Your, about mindset hacks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're just dropping some game to them, you know what I mean? <clears throat> and so I tell writers and artists this all the time. It's like this. What did you come here for? So what I mean is, if you came here to be a writer, actor, director, producer, whatever, and the job you have is going to be in the way of you doing that, what did you come here for? Mm. Most people come here going, I, get, I came here to be an actor, but I'm so used to making $90,000 a year, I can get a job there. We're in LA, they actually pay more, so now it's 120 at whatever the job is you do. So next thing you know, that motherfucker ain't going to auditions because they work. Next thing you know, they moved here and they ain't doing nothing, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want that to happen. So I came here, I came from working in these big salons in San Francisco, doing $7,500 haircuts. And I was like, where could I work where I could just work part-time, just enough to pay the rent and whatever else I need, get my tips and still be able to act. And I went and sucked it up and went and worked at Supercuts. Mm. That was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I'm used to spending an hour on one person's hair. They want you to do three or four of them in an hour. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let me tell you a quick little story. This is funny. So I was there maybe six months at one point. Six months? Yes. Six, eight months I was working. And <laughs> the manager pulled me aside one day and she was like, you need to speed up. You're, there's no problem with the haircuts. You're flawless. You're better than me. <laughs> right? She's like, but you need to speed up. This is an efficiency place. Right, mm. teach you guys because I'm doing it my style. I'm doing it how I was taught in the big salons. I'm not even following their style, right? Mm. So, two or three months later, I'm in there cutting hair. I look, I look to my right, and the stylist is sitting down in the seat. It's packed in the front. I'm like, what the fuck? I look to my left. He's sitting. I look behind me. There's only one other person doing somebody's hair. Every, all the stylists are sitting down, including her. And I look at her and she's just mean mugging me like this. I'm like, what the heck? I finished my client. She's like, Hilliard, in the back. I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> Watch this. I go in the back, true story. And she says, this is all your fault. I said, what? She says, all those people in the front are waiting for you. Oh, wow. I said, what? I had no idea. People would see me doing the hair. They'd be like, Mm-mm, I'm waiting for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that didn't last very long. So luckily, I ended up getting cast on um, the Power Rangers at the time. Oh, wow. I was supposed to be a recurring role. I only did, ended up doing one episode. And um, so I quit. And I've never had another job until last year. Another wow. regular job until last year. Wow. 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 I need to go back to the haircut. Okay. Because that is so true. When you find a good hairstylist or a barber, you will sit there for three hours and they'll be like, "Uh, can I cut you? Like, no, I'm I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on my man right here. And and you will sit there for a long time and you will pay a premium for, for a good haircut. But that, I, I, you know, and that kind of took me back to when uh, I was in uh, Philly, because I'm, I'm outside of Philadelphia now, mm-hmm. and I was waiting for this barber. Man, I think I sat there for like two hours waiting for this brother. But he was that good. And it was so funny because all the, like you said, all the other barbers just standing around looking at this dude. But 
but you know, he was that guy. He he was he was just that good. So I, I it was the details for me. Yeah. Like some people are like, well, you didn't pay me to do your ears. You didn't pay me to do the shit around your nose here. Mm. You didn't pay me to line up whatever. I just do it because I see it's not it's not right. So people were getting extra from me. Because mm. I'm just a natural groomer. I'm a Virgo, I'm anal. You know what I mean? So I want it all to be perfect. So I'd rather spend another 10 minutes making mm. sure your shit is cool. If you got extra, I'm just going to fade that shit out the right way. You know what I mean? Line it up so it's perfect. You got hair coming out your ears. I'm trimming all that shit down. You know what I mean? I did all that. You know what I mean? If you're a woman, I'm making sure it's curled just right. You know, whatever. I want that precision haircut. I want to make sure the layers look exactly right. So I'm like, I'd rather spend another 10 minutes just to get it perfect. So you know? with and that's interesting. Did that transfer? And, and I, I, I'm asking the question for the audience mm -hmm. because I already know the answer to this. Did that attention to detail transfer transfer over into your writing and your filming? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think. <clears throat> so you're asking me, how did I start writing? Yes. So that came years later. I was doing. I was still doing lots of theater, even here in L.A. People don't know. There's some actually lots of good theater here. I was getting lots of like indie, you know, film work, some TV work and stuff like that. Um, the other thing that I skipped is I've actually I'm somebody I've been on tour with rappers. I've, you know, and I've done all that stuff. I've been in videos, you know, Hammer, J Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. I mean, I've oh, done wow. different things. And so knowing all those things helps you in so many different ways. For example, here's an example. One of the reasons I'm a, I, like if you ever with me, if we were producing something, Floyd, if we were casting, you'd notice I'm very, very, I'm a bit of a theater slot snob. Mm. So like if we're going through people's headshots and I see you went to BAFTA, you went to, you know, uh, Carnegie Mellon and shit and did such and such a theater with whoever I'm like, Oh, this dude must be dope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I know what that takes to be on that stage for six months, eight days a week. You know what I mean? All that stuff, eight days a week, <laughs> seven days a week, eight different shows. It's a beast. If you can't become super amazing, mm -hmm. you understand why. You know, if you study dance at a certain place, if you studied theater, if you started whatever voice, I know how good you have to be to, to go past that mm -hmm. and come out of it. Right. It's that that's the only issue I have with a lot of people in L.A. I'm hearing it's changing. So that's great. Um, but it used to be a lot of people just taking scene study. Class. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because what happened is I didn't notice it until I started. I probably have sat in several hundred casting sessions as a producer now. And the reason is, so, and you know this, you produce it too. So you produce a role, you, 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 uh, you produce a, let's say a movie or whatever you're doing, a film, and you have 33 roles to cast, right? All those callbacks, sometimes you bring them back two or three different times. Yeah. You might bring back seven different people. So that's how it ends up being hundreds all the time. You know what I mean? Because every different one is, is a lot, right? Now, what I found is those people who come from theater in particular, theater is a very intimate place. 
You might be in a Broadway show and have to share a dressing room with 10 people mm -hmm. unless you are actually the guy playing Aaron Burr. <laughs> you might have your own dressing room, right? It might be the, the first four people on the, on, the, on the top of the call sheet and then everybody else is sharing different rooms, right? For the most part. What that does to you is teach you how to work together. Mm -hmm. It teaches you what people don't see behind the scenes is I'm finishing a scene. I walk off and you notice in like 30 seconds, I come back, I got almost a whole new outfit on. I didn't do that by myself. It probably was you who's about to come on into the next scene or you know, or whatever the fuck. It's, it's, it's a machine and we're all working together. You know what I mean? So you start to see how it is that those actors understand the repetition of, of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. They understand, give this actor a moment to figure something out. They understand being patient. You know what I mean? They understand what upstage and downstage is. And you know what I mean? Because I can't tell you how many times I've been in an audition and just for the sake of an argument, I'm like, yo, Floyd, do, do me a favor. That was good. Um, on that next line, will you go to the door and say that line to her as if she's such and such and such? I want you to walk up stage, yell it out to her and blah, blah, blah. I'm just mm -hmm. testing. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times people will go upstage. Is that up there or was I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do a shit like that. I can't. That's why I become such a theater nerd about shit. Because mm. I know without even hesitating that they understand me. I don't have time to teach you. Mm. You see what I'm saying? That's what the adjustment is for. That's why directors and producers and cast and director give you an adjustment to see if you can. Right. Because you did a, a bad job. They're like, let me just see. So when we're on the set, uh, is Floyd going to be cool when I say, okay, that was good, but what about this? They're going to be like, got it. That's what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? And that's why there's such a dis... I don't even want to know what the word I want to use, but there's a, an imbalance between British actors and American actors. And I think it comes down to... And I'm talking... You know, I have a show called Screenwriters Rant Room. So no, 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 no. This is beautiful because this, this is a, this a master class. This is the master yeah, class. Yeah. Here's what I figured. This is just my interpretation. When people ask me why are all the British actors getting roles? This is white, black, you know, how many white actors do you go, man, that motherfucker's British? He <laughs> killed that accent. I didn't even know it. Yeah. So it's the same thing. It ain't just black actors, right? Here's what I think happened somewhere. Somebody, watch this. Whoever cast, this is just an example, by the way. Whoever may have cast, let's take Idris Elba in The Wire, and then what's the main dude, the other guy who's British who starred in it, right? I can't, I, I know his name, but I can see his face. The main detective, right? Another Brit, right? Yes, I know what you're talking about. Whoever uh, cast these actors went, hmm, these guys killed it. I need to find another actor just like that. Who else do we know from England who's here, <laughs> right? It becomes like this thing where you saw that they did something because, and you probably didn't even know they were English until they heard them speak. Mm -hmm. Then you were like, oh, that's what it is. They came from this place and you look at the resume and you see all the training and all the, you're like, I need more like that. Mm -hmm. McNulty, right? McNulty. 
yeah, McNulty. McNulty. Yeah, McNulty. Yes. Yeah. And so that's just my interpretation of it, by the way. I think that people start to go, great, everybody found this actor. So the assumption is that they're better. I'm not saying they're better or worse. Mm -hmm. I'm saying why somebody might have continued it. You know what I mean? They're, why their first instinct might have been to go that way. You know, it's not my instinct to be like, oh, he's British. He's better than you. Mm -hmm. No, I'm like, let's see, them, let's see them go head to head. You know what I mean? I want to see Floyd go up against Idris. You know what I mean? Whatever. He don't have to audition for nothing no more. But you get my point. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was a time he auditioned for the what? You know what I mean? But there's a time when, as a producer, you start to see what the things are that spark you. You start to see the pattern. And I bet casting directors are probably seeing the thing too. They're like, what is, what do they do that's different? You know, that when I give them an adjustment, it's easier. When I give them an adjustment, I have to keep working with them. Well, I don't I wonder, know. I don't know. I, I, wonder, I wonder if they just come at it, they come at the craft differently. It, it may be more of they have a healthier respect for the craft of it. Um, and someone, I heard someone talking about this. I don't know if I'd say that, but I hear you. Yeah, because I, I know there's hella very well-trained white and black directors here. Sure. Yeah, but they were saying, and, and and these are not my words, but they were saying mm -hmm. that, you know, they have a healthier respect for the craft, whereas the actors here are more concerned with the red carpet and social media. And I thought that was, I cannot remember, because it was a conversation they were having. I cannot remember who said it, but, you know. I they feel like I've heard something like this before. They, they said that, that that's basically mm -hmm. the, the difference. Because like Idris, I had absolutely no idea Idris was, English mm -hmm. until I saw him in an interview and then I was like what the fuck what what right. he he's 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 British mm -hmm. but I mean you know I, I, I don't know because they, but they I just always want, seem I to just pop up I just sorry to interrupt you I no, just no, want no, to just say I'm not a I'm one of those few producers who's not against hiring somebody like that I know mm -hmm. a lot of producers who are like I'm not hiring no British actors for a role that's an American person or whatever. And I'm like, if they come in and kill it, it is what it is to me, because you know, whether it's David Oyelowo, I can never say his last name. I know um, what you're talking about though. <laughs> Anson Idris, I mean, these kids are killing it. You know what I mean? And, and when you think about your top 10 black actors, five of them are probably British. Yes. Right now. I'm just keeping it real. Even the, the black women, a lot of them, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of them are British or South African or, you know, something of that nature. And I think I think that's OK. I just think we just have to be. All, where I was going with all this. If you were an actor and you came from Carnegie Mellon and you're a black actor, actress, I'd be jumping on. Them. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have, they have just as much respect to me as somebody who went to BAFTA. Mm -hmm. I'm saying both of them have more respect than somebody who was just in some scene study class. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. You know what I mean? So, so, I, and I guess that goes back to how seriously are you taking this? Because yeah. when you're looking at that resume and you're seeing the <laughs> extensiveness of their education, and then you put it up against someone who just has scene study, you're saying, okay, see, they really took this seriously. It doesn't even, it doesn't matter if you went to BAFTA. Or or or, or Julio or it, yeah. it's the fact that you put in the work 
Whereas Correct. this other actor were like, well, I'm just going to do some scene study. And, and I listened to uh, your, your interview with Asha, who I mm -hmm. absolutely love. And, you know, you were talking about that, you know, how some people are just like ducks in the water. Some people are just natural at this. Other right. people need a little bit of, you know, a little bit of work. But again, it goes back to you put in the work because you take this seriously. And not that the person did this, doing the scene study doesn't, sure. but what is your level of commitment? It's just like you said, why are you here? I think, I think it's like this, Floyd. One of the things I love about you, you're one of those cats like myself. Like, we don't be waiting for Hollywood to do stuff. You just go out and make stuff. You know, you know how to use a camera. You know what I mean? You forced yourself to do that, right? What I'm saying is you don't have to have went to BAFTA or any of these other, you know, the NYU or anything. You could still get roles in shows. You just have to audition for the show. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, how do I get the audition for the show? They have open calls for all those things. You just have to wait in line for it. But mm -hmm. if you're that ass, you're going to stand out. I've been in those lines. You know what I mean? I've made it to the show you know, on occasion, you know what I mean? I've done the thing where I had to audition six times again, <laughs> you know what I mean, to get something and then you didn't even get it. But I now know what it's like to go through the process, mm -hmm. so I'm more prepared. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. You don't have to be the person who went to said college. You just have to be doing the work. There's lots of people I see resumes and I don't see no real training, no school. They just was working. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that person's naturally, naturally good. Some people have that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, let's switch gears really quickly. And then I, wanna, I really want to get into this WGA. You know, you you, you talk about uh, cat casting and, and, and doing auditions and the fact that it's kind of difficult to really pick good talent because of the way Hollywood has everyone doing auditions via Zoom. Uh. <laughs> I wanted to ask <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that because again listening to mm -hmm. the screenwriters rant room, you know, you guys were talking about and that's so true because I'm not really watching you anymore. I'm looking at wow, that's an interesting picture that Hilliard has in the background yeah. with the woman with the, well, what's that? What what is, is that a transformer or is that Star Wars? Mm -hmm. I'm not even paying attention to you. So, so, so can you talk, can you talk about that? So here's what I was talking about. <clears throat> I am very fully aware that we are still, people think, people think it's gone, like coronavirus is gone or some shit. And it's still here. You know what I mean? I think I had it a month ago. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For the second time. Oh, Luckily, wow. I had it for like a day. <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit of a fever and mm -hmm. I had a little something in my throat and I was done. Now, <clears throat> but I'm all boosted up. So that that's why it only lasts such right. short time. Now, where I was going with this was, and you know this, Floyd, being a producer yourself, you sit behind your desk and you watch these auditions that come in. What has already happened is they've already been filtered. So your casting director, assuming you have one, has already filtered out, here's your top 10 for each role or five, whatever you guys agree that you want to see. And you go through those roles and all you see is the person behind the camera is the actual audition. What you don't see is the moment before, 
and the moment after, mm. which is quite frankly, I've done dozens of things when I was an actor. I would say half of them I probably got because of the things I did before or after. What I mean is this, Floyd walks in a room and we're like, hey, what's up, Floyd? Good to see you, man. Hey, thanks for coming, blah, blah, blah. Oh, man, dude, there was traffic out there and blah, blah, blah. We're just talking. And I'm already going, this dude's cool. I like him. You know what I mean? So you already got me there. What I see from the audition is action, right? You're right into the role, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know who you are, what you are, whatsoever, because what's happening is a lot of actors are throwing away their slate part. So the mm. slate is when you say, hi, my name is Floyd. I'm six foot seven. I'm Bob, you know, whatever. I'm just throwing something. You know what I mean? And my agent is such and such. They just throw it away. There's no boom. Da, 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 da. I don't even know what your character is. Mm-hmm. So I would say give me that's where you have a chance to give us some personality is during your slate. Because the role might be a dark, you know, criminal, for example, it might be the killer, it might be the mob boss, it might be whatever. So you might want to walk in a room as a mob boss and then surprise me with a slate and be like, hey, my name is Joey such and such. And blah, blah, blah. Right. And I'm like, oh, dude, this is totally different. But instead, they're like, I'm Joey. Blah, 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 blah. Thank you. And they cut it like they're just done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what I see so many times. People don't take the slate part as important, but they don't realize because they don't sit on this side. They don't realize looking at the auditions that it's the only time we get to see you. All Hmm. we see is your audition, which you probably did seven times. We didn't give you any adjustments yet. Right. You know what I mean? So that's what's missing for me is the engagement of it all, the before and the after and the audition. So after the audition, I might have said, Floyd, that was great. Can you try one like this? Maybe he's a little bit angry on this part or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You do it. And I'm like, oh, good, good, good. Cool. What, you available at such and such and such? And you'd be like, yeah, I got this thing going on. Didn't I see you on that show? Were you blah, 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 blah? Let's try it like that. Remember that role you played? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I can't even engage. You know what I mean? So until I bring you into the final whatever, you know, callback or you know, chemistry test, whatever we decide to do with you, you know, but even then, like I was watching uh, one of my favorite shows this season was that new interview with the vampire <clears throat> and the two guys who play Lestat and uh, the other vampire one, forget his name, were they, they did all their auditions on Zoom, even the mm. chemistry test, because he lives in England, the black mm. guy, and then the other dudes from Australia their chemistry tests were on fucking screen. And the 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 producers, if I recall, were here. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? How weird is that? Wow. How are you gonna have chemistry with somebody you're supposed to be able to be intimate with? Mm. You know what I mean? So that's I mean, they, they lucked out finding these two guys who were just perfect for each other, you know what I mean? But it's it's hard, you know. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of it. I understand we're in the time where you know, to be safe, we have to do all these things. But I, I think it sucks for a lot of the actors coming in, not experiencing <clears throat> that walking in the door, you know, the the roar of laughter from the cast and directors or producers in the room. So you get a sense of how it's going. Right. You know, even even I'm going to say people ain't going to like it. The tension of being in the hallway and hearing everybody laughing at the person who went in before you. It's tension. Yeah, it is. You know what I'm and I've and I've been in that hallway. I've been in that hallway, yeah. and then you have to go after that person. <laughs> they just kill it. 
And sometimes you can hear them. You can hear the whole line reading what they did and everything. Imagine going on an audition to sing and that motherfucker got a whole Broadway belt and you can kind of sing. And they just brought the house down with Old Man River or some shit. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Full on baritone. And you're like, holy shit. I got to go on after. Same thing, you know? Or you they just pulled out some Paul Robit. <laughs> they pulled out some Paul Robinson on. Yeah, that. yeah. You're in the middle of a dance audition. And you feel like you're killing it, and then they say freestyle, and then this motherfucker's flip, 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 split, split. You're like, I'm done. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what you're up against now. The kids be, they be killing it, mm. killing it. You know, I was a great but, dancer in my prime. The kids would kill me today. Mm. But you know what? They though? can do everything. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say really quickly, you know, what you were talking about when you when you were talking about, you know, the the, the, the before and the after, that's mm-hmm. building rapport. There's no rapport being built. There's no commonality being built. There's no, you know, I get you being 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 built. You know, no relationship, even though it's 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 a quick one, but there, there's something there. And even when you're out in that hallway. That's a learning experience because yeah. you, could, you could actually be listening in into what's going on. Well, I was going to make this choice, but I'm listening. Maybe I'll make a different choice when I go in the room. And yeah. if they don't like that choice, they'll give me instructions on what they what it is that they want to see. But exactly. and, and you know what's interesting? When, when I was listening to that that interview, a light bulb went off and I said to myself, you know what, because. I don't really watch a lot of television too much anymore. And I was always trying to figure out for the last couple of years, why am I so disinterested? Mm. And maybe one of the reasons why is because you picked actors from a tape that just basically served the purpose. Yeah. That they, they may not be the best one for that role, Kind of like what you guys were talking about with with the uh, the interview with the the WGA strike, where they were saying, you know, you guys got to rush these scripts, you got to rush these scripts. Are you getting the best work? So then I'm thinking, are you actually getting the best actor? I could be wrong, but I know for me, sometimes I watch a television show and five minutes in, I'm cutting it off because it's like I'm I'm not interested. So what's your, what's your take on this? And I've said this before, I don't, I don't personally believe anybody sets off to do a bad show or mm-hmm. anything. I think all intentions are right. <clears throat> and I also believe like when I'm producing, I tend to be one of the most calmest people on the set. And it's because I have learned 30 projects in now that the project will end up being the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. you can't force it right and so when you accept that and that doesn't mean you're like well this is what it is it's you still are trying to you know push for the greatest of everything mm-hmm. but even that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect right so i think when you turn on a show and you're not feeling the vibe or whatever the thing is is a totally natural thing to do we all have different sensibilities you know, I was telling this showrunner, <clears throat> um, she had read one of my one of my feature scripts. She read my Black Wall Street script. And it's like, she's like, the writing is just, she's like, you're doing some 
this to be nominated for an Oscar, like that type of stuff. And I said, I always write with that intention. Mm. But that's just a mark. Will that ever happen in my lifetime? I don't know. You know what I mean? But I write toward that. I want you to be like, dude, this could get a nod. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's the level of writing that I'm trying to do. So when I'm studying the greats, I'm studying to see what was the needle that they laid down that made it so good. Why is it? What's that opening scene that takes us? What's that transition the way that they and I'm studying and I'm going, OK, I saw how John August did that. I saw how Billy Ray did that. I see what Stephen King is doing here. If I did it, I could take a little bit of that, a little mm -hmm. bit of that, a little bit of that and come up with my own little thing. You see what I mean? But you got to know what they did to get it. Mm -hmm. You can't just go, well, I don't want to read them so they don't mess me up. No, you got to see what they did. You got to read what they did on the page. And I always tell writers, you can't just be watching the TV shows, talking about I'm researching. That's one stage. Mm. For you to be a writer, you have to read, you know, which we'll get into the AI of it in a minute, too. Yeah. So you, you know, yeah. You know. <laughs> but, but you know what? That is that is so yeah. true because I am an avid reader. I am an avid reader. And the thing about a film is you get a limited amount of time. Whereas with a with with the screenplay or with a book, because I'm I'm I've been a, an avid reader my entire life, and I'll just give you an example: The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite trilogy movies ever, ever, ever. That was one of the closest things ever to the book. But even as phenomenal as those movies were, they pale in comparisons to the book. Of course, Tolkien no was able to the descriptions and and it's just so if if you're writing and you're not reading then you're not writing hey everybody it's floyd marshall host of a conversation with have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself i'd like to ask him a question well you can just message me with a question or a comment and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode to your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. Agreed. Straight up. And, and, and everybody wants to use this new AI thing I'm on, I was on a call three weeks ago. I might I was talking about this on one of the shows I did recently. <clears throat> talking to a producer, we were hoping if the show, if if we didn't go on strike, he might bring me in to develop this show, mm -hmm. which would have been a dope show. I'll tell you offline about it. And while we're on, he says, "Have you heard of this new Chat GPT?" And I says, "No." So he shared the screen with me. He pulled it up and he says, "Give me a time." And I said, "The '80s." He said, give me a scenario. I said, a boy and a girl does such and such. And so I just threw out something. And he said, and whose voice? Who's your favorite writer? And I said, Stephen King. And he hit enter. And this fucking story came up in two mm -hmm. pages that looked just like Stephen King would have read. And I was like, holy shit. Here's the thing. I'm not against. Oh, and then he did this. Okay, Stephen King. 
How else could we do this? I said, what if it were even darker, more edgier? He wrote, this is great. What if it was darker, more edgier? And it went, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it went from a world like this to a world where, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, holy shit. Where I think we can utilize it as writers is mm-hmm. for ideas. Yes. Not to write. What it's going to do is make everybody lazy. Everybody's going to be like, oh, I could just put the story in. Here's here's all the characters I wanted to include. Here's the world. Go. Right. And it's going to write this thing. And you're going to go in and just try to make it yours a little bit by the way you say and claim that you wrote this thing. Mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen, this is something that I, I've been wanting to talk about. I had this first place I'm talking about this on. I think what we're going to become in the next five years are editors and not writers anymore. Because mm. uh, I don't know if you listen to Billy Ray's Strike Talk. You should listen to that. No, I, I heard that on your show. He's basically saying, and I actually agree, what they're doing right now, say you're a showrunner, you have a new show, right? They're basically saying, we're going to give you a mini room for 10 weeks. We're going to give you two writers and an assistant. Go. So that means you have 10 weeks to write four, probably five episodes. Mm. Episodes, not just like what's the world and, you know, here's the blue sky and here's the scenario for the series. It's literally they want scripts. So that they now have those scripts done. What Billy's suggesting is there may be a world where executives are going, you have two writers, one writer's assistant, you guys, blue sky, all of the, here's what happens over the season. You put it all into the AI of it all. Mm-hmm. The AI pitches out, puts out the script, and then you guys go out and re- and fix it. You do it for the next one, and then they go in, and then that second writer can write it. And then by the time it comes back, you could do 104, and now you have four scripts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. So sounds great on the surface of it all, but they're right. missing all of the nuance of humans and how we think and how we feel, right? And, and writers are no longer going to understand why they're fixing something. They're just fixing it because they're trying to make it theirs, right. not because it doesn't work. You know what I mean? As an example, <clears throat> you know, probably not even a great example, but that's an example of where he thinks it might be going is they're trying to take out the room. And then the whole, they don't want us to go to the, you know, to go produce our episodes. It's because they've, they've never respected what we do. They don't realize that actually writing is one step of producing Production is another step. And then post, as you know, you're still writing, bitch. Mm -hmm. You know, I I can't sit with you, the editor, and say, you know what? She says to him such and such and such. Let's take out the line where she says the and just have it say boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The rhythm would be better. That's in that writing, right? Yes, it is. That transition where it does this. Can we speed up the thing so we can get to that scene more? You know what? We don't even need to end on his look. Let's just end it by when the door closes. All that is writing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But they don't respect it. So a lot of things a lot of people don't know is by the time the producer is now in post, that 
they get paid for production, but a lot of them don't get paid for post because they don't think that's part of your deal. But they know you're going to finish it because mm-hmm. they know we care. Mm-hmm. That's how they got us. See what I'm saying? We trying to be like, nah, bitch, pay us for that. Mm-hmm. It's writing. No, it's not. <laughs> so what I would love to do, and you're hearing it here, you know, I'd have that undercover boss. Them bitches need to go on the cover. Yeah. We do. And they'd be like, holy shit, this is a lot of writing. They need to see it. They don't realize it. They're just yeah. used to giving you notes. They're not doing the job. Oh, it's just a polish. No, bitch, it's a rewrite. Let me tell you why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and it's interesting that you should say that because when you were talking about uh, the, the writer's room, I was reading this article and, you know, they, they mentioned a, a, a lot of different people, but they, they mentioned the writer's strike back in 2007, 2008, and mm-hmm. some of the concessions that the writers gave to the streaming services because the streaming services were new and they were an unknown. And it was so interesting as I was reading the article, I kind of got chills because I was saying, wow, they let the fox in the hen house and they didn't even know it. I think we knew it. But at some point, it's like, what battle are you going to fight? And at some point, it's true. Netflix wasn't Netflix. I think 2007, Netflix was still, if I recall, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't remember. I want to say they still were on DVDs. Yeah, they were, you, were still, you were still going to the, yeah. so to the market it, to grab it out the, no, to grab it out the machine. Nobody thought this was going to be huge. Nobody thought DVDs were going to be huge. Mm-hmm. They were like, who's going to take this over VHS? You know what I mean? Every time this happens, you know, who thought MP3s were going to be a thing? You know what I mean? And what did it do? You know what I mean? And that is the problem. So what we, the lesson we've learned is anytime something new comes up, we need to jump on it and make it be part of our MBA. You know what I mean? Make it part of our agreement so that we don't get lost in them finding loopholes. You got to, here's, here's the problem, Floyd. The studios knew that mm-hmm. streaming was going to be a thing, in my opinion. You know why? Because you know who runs Hollywood now? Silicon Valley. Yeah. All tech people. Of course they know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They knew this was coming next. They knew it was the next Napster or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? They saw it coming. So, of course, they were like, yeah, we can just downplay it. And in a couple of years, we'll be running everything. You know, Netflix was just the first people to figure it out. Nobody had figured it out yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they, they're way ahead of us. You mm-hmm. know, the problem we have in Hollywood, and I've said this on my show several times, <clears throat> is we now have these Fortune 500 Silicon Valley tech, whether it's Apple, Amazon, Netflix of it all, running Sony even, you know, running Hollywood. And now they've taken all of their business model and moved it into a creative world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit. You know, they, instead they're just saying, oh, those people, they're, they're stuck in their old age way of thinking. The old age way of thinking has worked for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean it's perfect, but it works this way so that writers have a chance to become showrunners as they grow and learn on the set and all that so that they could become the next showrunner. 
in TV and film in particular, TV in particular. And mm -hmm. in film, you need this writer to write these films so that they can go on to become the next producers and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you see what I mean? Right. It is, it is a train. It is a, a machine, if you will, with the way they do it. They're going to cut us off. We're going to be called editors in a minute, in my opinion. We'll see. We'll see what yeah. they call us. But, but, but you know what's interesting as, as you're talking, you go as great as AI and chat GPT is, because I love it. I swear by it. I use it a lot. But at the end of the day, you're coming back to me because you're saying, okay, well, we, 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 may have had 10 writers in the writer's room. Now we're going to cut it down to five, but you still have five people in the room. So as great as this computer is, it's still a damn computer. And at the end of the day, you are still looking to a <clears throat> human to give it that humanistic quality. Because right. if people are sitting there watching and, and you and you know when, when something doesn't grab you, you're like, no. Yeah. No. So you're going to, when I was listening to your show, Linnell, when I was listening to Linnell, she's hilarious. Mm -hmm. And she talked about. Shout out to Linnell White. Linnell <laughs> White. Phenomenal. Going into the grocery store. And when she said this, I lost my mind. How yeah. we as black people don't pick nothing from the front. Now, I don't suffer from that. If I see it, I grab it. But my <laughs> wife, <laughs> my wife. My Ooh. wife, God love Tracy Marshall. She was talking about black women, I think. That's what Man, it was. <laughs> yo, yo. When she said that, I'm in a car cracking up because when she said that they don't grab nothing from the front, when me and my wife go shopping and she right. says, get that, and I reach for it, she says, no, no, no. She said, dig in the back. She said, because all the fresh stuff is in the back. They put the stale stuff up front. Yep. A computer cannot write that. Yeah. A computer cannot write that 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 small nuance that speaks to us. Yep. But or, see, that's again. I think they think, okay, it's spit it out. Now go fix it. It now it's all there. All you have to do is just clean up that little scene. You know what I mean? But they don't realize that it's a puzzle. Mm -hmm. So if you mess with one thing, it affects something else. It affects something else. I can't tell you how many times I've been on an assignment. And they're like, oh, it has Act 3 issues. I'm like, no, bitch, it has Act 1 issues. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? If it affects Act 3, it affected Act 1 that affects Act 2. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It all, if you work your way backwards, you'll start to see what happened, right? The problem is this also, and somebody said this, shout out to uh, uh, Danny Tolley, who was on our show on that episode. He said, we forget one other thing. The internet... The, the AI of it all learns everything from the internet. Mm -hmm. What is the internet? A very racist place. Yes. So all those little things where you're not supposed to do and say certain things, it's going to put all that in because it doesn't know better yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, it said such and such. So I said such and such. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's very literal on stuff like that. And it's going to miss all the nuanced things that we're talking about. You know, like... I think you heard me say on that episode um, how much I love The Last of Us. What yes. issues that I that we had was was with some of the nuance that we felt was missing from the character. That doesn't mean 
we still are not watching the show when it comes on. So I'm, I watch the show live. Mm-hmm. Clearly, I'm still love the show. <clears throat> but had he had a black person in the room, there's some things the little girl would not have done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, he could have overpowered and said, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyway. But somebody could have leafed said, you know, if this was a little girl, she probably might not have done this or this or this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If she was cooking breakfast, it wouldn't just be some plain old eggs and toast. It might be for her Latin father. You know what I mean? He might. It's the little things, right? That is the nuance. That mm-hmm. is the the things that makes the audience go, oh, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. How many movies and TV shows have you seen? That's why we like Spike Lee so much, because you relate to the shit and do the right thing. Right. You walk down that street and they had the Italian pizza place. What do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You you get all that nuance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what's what you're gonna have to fix. So I I say this to all those people writing, whether it's a book, a short story, or a script or a play. You need to you need to go through that shit with a fine tooth comb and make sure if you're gonna be using that as I wrote this thing, put your stamp on that thing. That's why I say use it as like, I need a log line about a boy and a girl who meet at the movies. I need it darker. What would happen if there was a spaceship? That I get. That's mm-hmm. fine. But as soon as you start going, write me a screenplay, <laughs> you fucking up in my opinion. Yeah, you are. Because I was I was uh, listening to a room on Clubhouse. Oh, mm-hmm. goodness gracious. I can't remember which room. It, but, but it was a film room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were talking about the fact that right now, as far as ChatGPT is concerned, uh, screenwriting, it's like a D, D plus C minus as far as screenwriting is concerned, that it's not it's it's not that good. But then again, it goes back to at the end of the day, no matter how good it gets, it's still a machine. Yeah, it's I still agree. a machine, you know, so so so. What what are, as you know, if you know this, what what are the plans of the WGA? Because I know from from listening to you guys that this one is going to be a long one. It's going to be a long one. <clears throat> the only, the reason it's going to be a long one is this is one of the first times in in history that I heard. I mean, I was around during two thousand seven too. I wasn't in the guild at that time, but I was around. Um, I was there picking in everything with everybody too. <clears throat> it's actually the reason why I started directing. I was out there every day for like almost three months. Mm. I, I was at Paramount and a bunch of other places. And I had written this, this pilot that a producer friend of mine read and thought, dude, there's this whole little sequence you should do as a short film. And I was like, eh. And then we kept walking and all of a sudden the heavens opened up and they were like, why are you waiting for Hollywood? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, why am I waiting? And I went and made that film and it, became critically acclaimed. And I was like, and then I got stuck in that whole independent world for the last 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Actually longer than that, 13 years, whatever it was. And so that's why you don't see me with all these big, you know, TV credits. It's because I went that way, mm-hmm. you know, which I was still running shows and, you know, EP and all kinds of things. It just was on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I, I don't, I don't have any real regrets about the turn that I went on the route that I took rather, but I mean, there's some shows I wish I would have been on, 
<laughs> that I know I would have killed as mm -hmm. a writer, you know, and producer and stuff. But, you know, I still, the, my experience when I worked on the network stuff, I, I realize I'm in rooms with, with people who are co-EPs who don't know half the shit that I know. Mm. Because I've actually produced more than them. You know what I mean? Because I've done so many different types of things mm -hmm. as a producer and as a director. You know what I mean? I don't even really call myself a director, to be honest. I direct just out of necessity. You know, <clears throat> it's like things come up. Somebody needs me. You know, sometimes I'm in the middle of producing something and the director steps out. And I'm like, all right, I'll just go ahead and do that. You know what I mean? That's when I do it. I'm not like trying to be the next like Spielberg or something. I feel like there's too many, like Chris wants to do that. Mm -hmm. I'd probably have pushed myself out of two or three jobs that I pushed Chris's way. Mm. Pilots and shit. I'm like, let Chris do it. I'll produce it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally. And so, so what you're saying is your, your main focus is, is primarily or more towards writing the producing. producing. Yeah. Writing and producing first and then podcasting and then directing. Okay. Okay. So, so you, so we're, we're about to wrap this up because I know you're extremely busy. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So I, I wanted to, to talk I'm to you. About five. Okay. Ooh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you really quickly about uh, the, the documentary. Mm -hmm. that, did, did, did you complete that? It's in post now. Finally. Okay. The okay. Last, since the beginning of the year. Okay. And then uh, I want to talk to you really quickly about Black Wall Street. Okay. What's going on with that? Because the, the, you, you were talking about it. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember what you said. That you you wanted to have it made first because of the subject matter. I think love Lovecraft Country, Lovecraft Country. Where did you, know, you mind way before that? Right. <laughs> yeah. So so so, where do you think? And I don't even know if this is the right the right word. Where do you think the stoppage is coming in with that, with it not being made? Is it just not the right time, or just not the right people on it? What 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 seems to be All the issue? I I a year before Corona, so 2019, I think it was. I had a deal on the table, like 250 grand for the script. Mm -hmm. It was, and I don't usually throw out numbers like that, but it was a real thing. It actually, I had two scripts up for the same company. Hmm. I also wrote the story of Sylvester, the big disco singer. Yes. <clears throat> they wanted both of those scripts. They wanted Sylvester first. And we were just talking. I said, oh, well, you know, I have this other script. And then I read it. Next thing I know, I had a contract. You hmm. know what I mean? And that was going through the process. They were trying to raise money from independent things. And all that shit fell apart, you know, six months later. You know, it just all fell apart. Um, but I've come close with, that was the closest I came with that script. Sylvester, I think until February, I had another deal on the table that fell apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just keeps coming and going, coming and going. Mm -hmm. And I haven't given up on it. You know what I mean? But I still, nobody's done it yet. I just, I heard Billy Porter's going to do one on TV, which I think sucks because I'd love to be first, but you know, is it sometimes the, here's the lesson I've learned. And I've told writers this on my show all the time. Sometimes you write something that's a passion project of yours and it may never, ever get done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just a sample for you. Those two scripts have been samples for me many times, mm -hmm. you know, 
And I've even used them as samples for things I've written for TV stuff. Because it speaks to the right things of something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So sometimes it sucks, but that's 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 where it where it is. I don't I don't really know what to do. I do know Dwayne Johnson Cochran has a new series he's doing on it. I think he's doing it with uh, Angela Angela. Why am I forgetting her name? I'm tripping. Wakanda. I'm tripping. Oh, good grief, Angela Bassett. Yeah, Angela Bassett and her and Courtney. They're doing they're doing a series on it. And I was a little annoyed at him for not bringing me on. He know I got a fucking show up at that. A movie. <laughs> Courtney, if you're listening. I say, I say that out of no spite whatsoever. Really. I just I mean that like just on a side note. Um and then I just saw I think Will Smith has one. I just saw it on his IMDB the other day. Oh, I'd wow. never seen that before. And I was like, he got one too? It says it's in pre or something. Oh wow. Oh, okay. So he says he's working. He's working quietly behind the scenes. But I had an audience member ask a question. Oh yeah, they can ask me anything. It says uh, Michael Michael Tire Films says, "Where can we submit a film about racism in the '60s, '70s, and '80s? American History X meets roots, same separate world, two men's life changing journey, inspired by real life events of Fredell and Gloria Williamson, Fort Lauderdale, Florida." in 1967. So what's his name, sorry? Uh, Michael Tyre. Michael, Michael. hey, thank you for the question, Michael. So you're probably gonna have the same issue that I've had with several different scripts. I also wrote the story of Cathay Williams, who was the first black female Buffalo soldier. Me and my friend, my producing partner, Pamela wrote that. That's That's a series. We've had issues with, this has been for the last five years in particular, like after Lovecraft and all that stuff came out, there's been like this new thing on the internet where everybody, black Twitter kind of goes in on anything that has anything with any black person being abused or hurt or (laughs) anything. And so everybody's afraid to tackle any trauma whatsoever. You know, I've actually had a producer say, this is an amazing, amazing script. If this were 10 years ago, I'd be jumping on this. Mm-hmm. Now I'm worried about some of the torture porn. I'm like, torture porn? No, this is what happened. <laughs> like, we can't even say what happened anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I have a feeling, Michael, that you probably are going to be stuck in that. What, what you have to figure out is what producers out there that you follow are doing the type of movies that you're trying to set or TV shows, whatever it is you're making. And you need to find ways to get to them. And because every, here's the thing you have to understand every, all right, I'm going to rephrase this. I was saying a moment ago, Floyd, that sometimes you realize that a script is just a sample. The reason for that is several different reasons. Here's something I want you to understand, Michael. And I'm saying this, as you know, for the last year, I was a number two working with, uh, I was a director of development at Ben Watkins uh, Blue Monday Productions. And uh, so I helped them staff two shows. We were busy uh, the last year. What I found is this, you have interesting premise there. For me, I like that type of a premise, but six, seven years ago, we probably could have sold that. 
now way difficult because of what I was just mentioning with all the torture and, you know, they call it, they're soft to anything that abuses us. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Now, somebody's going to get on me and on me and that's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm used to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a grown ass man. You know what I mean? I, I can handle certain things. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But so here's the thing. I was just talking about this the other day. Here's what you have to realize. If you are a company and you have 10 projects in your slate, all of those 10 projects in your slate are your passion projects. And you know this, Floyd, you probably got three or four of them sitting there right now that you, if you had money, you go out and shoot right now. Yes. Right? So imagine I do, I have six of them, right? Sitting right here going to hill. So as you, you know what I'm saying? So if you go to fucking macro, who probably has 40 of them, right? What's going to make somebody stop and do your script? If you were trying to get to some big producer, they already have a slate of shit they've been working on probably for years sometimes, at least months. So never think you're going to stop in on, on their production and stop to do your project. I don't care who you go to. When you get your script to somebody, it is a sample. It is no longer we're giving it to you to sell it. That's a pitch. You come to somebody, you pitch them a project, and then they might like it. But even then, it goes into development. And that development can last for years. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, so this is where I'm going. And I've said this on my show many times. What happens is when it works is I, like I said, Michael, I liked your premise. It actually was something that I like. I like that wheelhouse. I like things from the past in the 60s and stuff like that. That's all me, right? If it were just reading, great, right? Producing, whole nother thing today. The problem is this. Most of the time, you'll get your script to, to a producer and the producer's meaning the, 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 the pod, the product producer with an open, uh, with an overall deal, they have to already be looking for that script or that story or that theme or that, you know what I mean? So I've used this many times. Stephen Canal is a friend of mine who wrote Pose, right? He co-created that with Ryan Murphy. He went in, pitched it to Ryan. Ryan already had another show that was in his slate that he hadn't figured out yet about the ballroom scene. So when he walked in and pitched, he went, if I put that with what I was trying to do, now I can do that thing I hadn't figured out yet. Mm. That's when it goes fast. Otherwise, you just have another script that's about the 60s, true story or not. You got to find the person who's trying to do that type of story. What's the theme you're trying to talk about? It can't just be a story, right? So you got to figure out what is everybody's mandate. At, at Blue Monday, our mandate was underdog stories. At my company, I do underdog stories. That's why we got along so well, right? I do underdog stories. I'll do underdog redemption stories. That's really my thing. I'm always trying to redeem somebody from something, right? So you have to figure out for yourself, Michael, is which company do you think out there lands in your mandate, not just somebody who did another 60s movie. That's not what I'm talking about. 
You see where I'm going with that, Floyd? Yes. Got to match what they're looking for, not just because they did another movie about the 60s. That's not enough. So I hope that's helpful. Well, Michael, I hope uh, normally he would charge a lot of money for what he just gave. No. <laughs> I'm just playing. But that was absolutely phenomenal you know, information. And it's, it's information that a lot of filmmakers need to know that they're not privy to. And oftentimes they're sitting there wondering why they keep, they keep, you know, running into that proverbial wall is because, well, it's, it's, it's not meshing with something that I already have in, in, in my wheelhouse. So brother Hilliard, mm -hmm. what's next on the horizon for you? So I'm, I'm, I, I, I finished my um, year within two, three weeks ago, right before the strike. <clears throat> and so I'm still producing. We have a companion show to our big Alex Cross show that we're doing in Toronto. Mm -hmm. We're doing a, uh, on Amazon, they do these shows that are, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of The Walking Dead or uh, they do them on Extent and stuff like this. They do this thing called X-Ray. And what they are, they're, you remember they had that Quibi show? That yes. Quibi network? It's almost like a Quibi show mm. that you'll take like an hour or a half hour show and break it up into like five minute pieces mm. so that it all ends up being this, this storyline of a show. So on our show on Cross, there's two bad guy girls, the kind of girl, and it's the origin story to how this one bad guy became the, I call him the Igor, it's not what he is really, to the serial killer of the show. So then it's full of all these Easter eggs hidden throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And we do this, this, this origin arc of how this guy became the bad guy to the, the serial killer for the season. Oh, wow. That's and so, nice. yeah, it's a scripted show. There's like six episodes or like five minutes each. And so I'm going to be producing that. And so we actually would be in pre right now and starting mm -hmm. to shoot next month if we weren't in during the, during this, this strike right now. So that's one thing. And, um, you know, going back to, I have all these things that I've written, you know, I'm debating on fixing. I was debating on fixing. And then my agents were like, why don't you just do something completely new? And I was like, oh. yeah. And I realized in the last seven, eight years, I haven't written anything original that's just me. I've oh, always wow. written for people. Wow. Yeah, and, and when I did stuff for me, it was me and my producer partner writing something together. So I haven't just written something that I just wrote. Oh, in a wow. Long time. wow. Yeah, so a lot of my samples are, you know, from a couple of years ago. Because like I said, I spent four years developing, mm -hmm. you know, for other people. So I wasn't writing my stuff. You know, and so, so yeah, so now I'm at a place where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next in post on that documentary is called um, Full Circle, the story of New Dimensions, a surf movie is <clears throat> about this band from the 60s um, that used to open up for the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean and a bunch of other bands and they never quite made it. They made four albums. They were like 12 to 14 years old when they came out. <clears throat> so they were a lot, a lot younger than everybody else. And when they disbanded in the mid 60s, they all went off and started other bands and whatever. And one of them was Jimmy Greenspoon from Three Dog Night, mm. who's a big rock star. 
The other one is Michael Lloyd, one of the biggest producers in town, did Sammy Davis Jr. and the Monkees and everybody. Um, most known for doing uh, the movie Dirty Dancing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that I Had the Time of My Life song. Uh, he produced that. Yeah. Oh. All that. So we're doing a movie about this band coming back 50 years later to finish this album that they never quite were able to make. You know what I mean? So we've been working on that for six, seven years. <laughs> it takes time, you know, but yeah. we're in post, you know, we're moving along. So, yeah, so hopefully we'll be done with that around before the end of the year, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, man, this has been absolutely great. You're going to have to definitely come back. It, it was definitely an honor and a privilege having you on my show because I am Thank such you. a fan of, of your show. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you are not subscribing to the Screen Writers Rant Room on Apple, and I am uh, going to assume all other streaming platforms. Everywhere. You yeah. are missing out. It is such, you got to check it out because it is, it's, it's, it's funny, it's great. And, and you learn so much and you, you get to hear something from three to four different viewpoints. Which is which is always good because you really get to see, you know, the the, the full circle of things. And you know, I actually listened to the uh, the one you just did, the WGH track. I listened to that a couple times oh, because yeah. the, the the beauty the beauty of of uh, listening to something. And I, I take the same stance when I read a book two or three times. Is you learn something new each and every time. Right. There's so things you. Right. So I know that if I go back and listen to it again, which I will, because, again, I'm learning and I learned so much about what writers do. And frankly, the bullshit that they have to put up with, because uh, actually the gentleman that was the showrunner for Selena was uh, being interviewed by Yvette Vargas in her room on on uh, Club right. in Hollywood. Yeah. And, Moises. you know, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it was just amazing listening to you guys talk about, you know, basically the indignities that that they had to go through with 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 such a, a phenomenal piece of work. But you know, you know, like you guys were saying when they when they when they don't value you, and I think that's what it boils down to. If I could say anything, if it, it's about, do you value us? And 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 in my estimation, that's what you guys are fighting for. That were valuable, and you guys are. We're you know, we're also fighting not to become extinct. Right. They are literally trying to push us out. People don't even see it. They they are saying they don't even need us. They only need a couple of us to fix a couple of things. It's it's like when you go in to do a a, a rewrite or a, a polish on a script, and mm -hmm. you read it, and you're like, this is a complete rewrite. But to them, it's just we just need to change a couple things. Mm -hmm. Like they think it's so light. And it's because they haven't been the undercover boss. They haven't seen what's really going on under it all. All they're doing is, is giving you notes, you know, and telling you, here's what's what. The problem we have with that, I know you got to go. No, no, no. The problem we have with that is there used to be three steps for feature films. Mm -hmm. It used to be that I hire Floyd. Floyd would go off for four months write a script, turn it in, he'd be commissioned. You get your first check. And then you go off, I give you notes. A couple of weeks later, you go back off, you write for, you know, four to eight weeks, you turn it in, you know, you rewrite, you get another check. 
And then you turn and then you do a polish after we give you notes again, right? And so you had a chance to rewrite all these different times to get right what we needed. What started happening is they went from three steps to one. Hmm. How can you have a chance to fix anything with one step? Well, they know you're not going to go anywhere. So they're going to say, Floyd, we really love this script. However, before I move it on to my boss, you know, if you fix these couple little things, they're just, you know, pretty simple. And you mm -hmm. sit there going, that's a fucking rewrite. Get rid of that character. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? All that. And then you go off and spend three months doing it. That's three more months you weren't paid. Wow. And then you turn it in. This is great. You know, I know my boss. If we just did this one little more thing, then I know we, we would get him over the rainbow, right? And then you go off for another two months. There, how many years have gone by? You see what I mean? You wow. just, time is gone. Next thing you know, you know, well, we were looking, we were excited about this, but, you know, we're going to go ahead and, you know, you know, that, that executive left. We're not doing that show or that film. All that time, you didn't even get paid for that last step. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's how they keep you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, so and we're, we're trying to fight against that. Wow. 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 And, and I'm so glad, you know, that, that you pointed that out so that when people listen to this and if you're listening, share it. If you're in this industry, any in Hollywood, you, you got to share it because, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you don't listen to anything else, just listen to the last three minutes with who you just explained, because guess what? As with anything, if they come up for them, you next. That part. Straight up. Mm -hmm. You are next because things are becoming so more, so much more automated. So hey, I don't I don't need a DP. I can program a camera to do that, and they have cameras that actually move with yep. your body. So why do I need a DP or an editor? I don't need somebody to. showed me some AI shit where they put all the stuff in the thing and said, "Here's the script," and the fucking ed the thing made the whole wow. And I was like, "I'm saying they're trying to make us obsolete." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The business is going to be all tech. The thing that freaks me out, I just saw somebody talking about it earlier today. Didn't anybody see that movie that you, Megan or whatever it was with the doll? I didn't see that. I mean, it's like Chucky and shit, but the doll is AI and all that shit. Like, that's where we're going. We Y'all really going to give these things this much power? <laughs> you, you know that's what's going to happen. It's going to fuck us up, Jack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, anyway. Yeah. You're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. We could be here for another two hours talking about that because it's so true. But you can kind of see it. Your car, the cars are driving themselves. If you turn on your cell phone, like right now, the car, we're having a conversation that my cell phone is on. I bet you anything that if I were to go on my cell phone and 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 just you know open up Google, it's probably going to give me fifty million chat GPT advertisements because the damn phone's listening. So mm -hmm. that's that's what it's that's what it's going to. So. If we're not careful, the writers are going to go away and then, you know, the actors are going to go away. And the next thing you know, it's going to be like some Blade Runner shit. And, and they're fighting, too, about the AI because they're all concerned. Remember, the way they're doing movies and the AI of CGI. it all. CGI. Like, the, the CGI. I mean, that's AI, too. It's CGI. GGI is, is the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you, you see movies where I was talking about Captain America they do that, or even what's that movie that Will Smith did where he was the older himself? I am legend. I am legend. No, 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 no. 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. where he yeah. comes back to like battle yeah. himself, or whatever. 
that could happen. They can make an entire movie without you even there. And you see what's going on with the voice things. With You could put in a song and put in a Jay-Z's voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like shit like that is happening where that's you become obsolete. We have to fight against this stuff or we will no longer be needed. What's that's where I heard that JC thing. I was like, I heard the Kanye. I was like, it sounds just mm-hmm. like him doing fucking Mary had a little lamb and shit. It sounds just like him. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and to that point, the last Star Wars that Carrie Fisher was in, mm-hmm. she passed away before they completed the movie. But mm-hmm. she completed the movie. Yep. Because they basically did an AI of Carrie Fisher. Yep. And, well, and put, in, put in a stand in and just put the face. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So, you know what, ladies and Boys gentlemen? Sound just like her and everything. Yep. 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 So, you, you, you ladies and gentlemen, basically what, what Hilliard is saying is please pay attention. Pay attention and do your due diligence. Yep. That, that's all you need to do. And, you know, just. Some people don't like this word, but shit, stay woke. <laughs> stay yeah, I woke. think we're fighting against scripts being written mm-hmm. and sold as a writer's guild script. And I think actors may be fighting against, I'm not sure on this, it's just what I heard through the grapevine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still in, a, in Screen Actors Guild and after, you know, SAG after, still. And I think they're fighting against not allowing the films to do an entire movie. Wow. Should be, that should be, What's the word? Uh, uh, God, is at the tip of my tongue. Live action. Like you could do a scene or two, you know, where you have like whatever the, like even what he did in that movie, you know, where it was him and then the younger him mm-hmm. that we get, but to cast the entire movie with all these different characters, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's what we're trying to fight against. You yeah. Know, from the actor's point of view. Well, that's a good fight, brother. And I'm definitely uh, in it, in it with you guys. So, you know, if, if I can help in any way, because I'm actually doing a podcast next week mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, I don't know, if, uh, Craig, Craig Williams or Redwall Pro and Darian um, Danju, you know, and, and we're going to be talking about this again. We're going to be talking about, you know, chat GPT, the yeah. WGA, uh, because, uh, you know, there are some people that, that, that use it heavily, but we're going to, I'm, I'm, I just need to get a female writer. I'm trying to get a female writer on this panel because I have guys. I said, I want a female point of view. So yeah. I'm still, uh, you know, working that out and everything. But uh, it's, that's May 25th. You're more than welcome to, to hop in if you're available because, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about this until this thing is resolved and you guys get what you want. Because I've been union for 30 years. For 30 years, I've been union, you know. So I'm I'm, I'm all about, you know, solidarity with unions because mm-hmm. you know it's needed it's needed to keep things like this from from happening and if things like this do happen you at least have a body of people to fight with you so yeah. so so Hilliard where can people follow you and find you on social media I am at Hilliard guess h-i-l-l you see my name up there just put at Hilliard guess on everything that's I brand my name <clears throat> that's it Beautiful. Keep it simple. I hate when people are at writer such and such and such. I'm like, <laughs> I got 17 people at writer such and such. I don't know who this is. I'm reaching out to. You know? Yeah, yeah. That that's brand, a great. That's a, your name. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great thing to end it on because a good friend of mine, Nakia Dillard, years ago, he's like, Floyd, what you got all these crazy ass pseudonyms for? He's like, what's your name? I said, Floyd Marshall Jr. He said, that's it. There so you, you know, when you 
Google, when you Google Heal Your Guest, Heal Your Guest comes up. When you Google yeah. me, I come up. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for, for chiming in. Wow, we got some we got some comments in here. Paul Walker and Fashion Fear was the fate. Yes. Will Smith and Gemini Man was old and, CG, and young CGI. Yeah. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, they basically giving you the playbook. <laughs> <laughs> they giving you the playbook, you know, so there it is. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining myself and the amazing Hill, your guests on a conversation with. And as I always end every show, please love this like a hobby, but above all else, treat it like a business. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great night. And going to the rest of the week, killing it. All right, guys, have a good night. Peace. Peace.